questions about the coronavirus are unavoidable right now. When is it coming to our city? When will there be a vaccine? Are we all going to be quarantined just in case? The scariest question of them all might be, how do we know what's true? Wearing the mask to prevent getting the virus, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. And when I cough, I'm putting, like, I'm dabbing here. We need to be vigilant about washing our hands. There were actually a few coronavirus patients, and I shook hands with everybody. And and I think that we may see a change in culture where we we stop shaking hands. This was a construct of the liberal media elite. This is going to go away in April. If you drink hot water because the virus doesn't survive in heat. According to QAnon posts online, just drink a little bleach. Every major news organization has been taken out of context, and this information has been spread by actors. Not everything we hear about coronavirus tells the real story. And social media, our Facebook feeds, Twitter timelines, and WhatsApp group chats, is part of the problem. These platforms do have some safeguards against fake political news. But for a global health crisis like the coronavirus, the online rumor mill might be harder to stop. Today, how fake news about a health epidemic can spread on social media quickly, and what platforms can do to help stop it, if they can do anything at all. I'm Allegra Frank, and this is Reset. When there's a rumor that's as juicy and as sort of viral as this one, I think people are begging for clarification. They're begging for, okay, what's the actual story? Matthew Kang is the Los Angeles editor for my favorite Vox vertical, Eater.com. Last week, he broke a story about how a coronavirus rumor had a big impact on the city's Koreatown district. It was so crazy. My phone blew up on Tuesday afternoon. I use an app called Talk which is really popular in South Korea and also uh, among Korean Americans in the U.S. And it's very similar to, you know, WhatsApp. Basically, uh, a person in this group of mine shared this screenshot of just this black Instagram panel. Hold on, let me, I'm actually trying to pull it up. So if you just give me a moment. Sure. Oh, here you go. Okay. So I got this um, screenshot that my friend sent me. There was no credit to it. There was no sourcing on it. And it was, it just says on the top, a Korean air flight attendant has tested positive for the novel coronavirus, the South Korean airline announced on Tuesday. And then there's some notes in the middle of it that's very specifically says like what time the flight departed from Incheon airport in, in Korea, when it arrived in Los Angeles, and then when that, when there was another flight outbound from Los Angeles back to Korea. And at the end, it says, while the flight attendant was in L.A., she has been to, and then the the names of the restaurants are in Korean, um, but the rest of the announcements in English. And this screenshot was going absolutely viral uh, amongst Korean Americans. Uh, People were texting it to each other. People were putting it into Kakao, this this, uh, chat program. People were sharing it on Instagram. uh, And I even got, like, texts within 30 minutes from my parents individually you know, telling me, hey, there's restaurants, you got to avoid them, blah, blah, blah. And I was just immediately skeptical, but also blown away by how specific this was. Because clearly, it says that the flight arrived at 830 in the morning and departed the next day at 10pm. So, you know, one wonders, like, how does somebody go to like five restaurants, right, or, or a bunch of restaurants in such a short period of time? 
So I immediately was very skeptical, but unfortunately there was no, no other information available. The first thing I did was contact LA County Health Department and they were like, hey, there's nothing, no reports of coronavirus reported anywhere in Los Angeles. Right. And what it got me thinking was like, I can't believe it doesn't surprise me, but like the Korean American community just ate this up, right? I mean, it probably hit, I would say, a vast majority of the Korean American population in Los Angeles within hours. Wow. Just through Instagram and Kakao Talk. Yes, mainly through Kakao. I mean, essentially every single Korean American person I know, beyond the age of 18 all the way up to uh, elderly status, <laughs> has Kakao Talk. It is absolutely an essential connector for the Korean American community here in the U.S. and also back in Korea. So, yeah, like this thing just became this lightning rod. And it was really unfortunate because, um, you know, I, I tried to understand the perspective of these restaurants. And I know a lot of my friends were avoiding Koreatown. I was going to have dinner with my parents in Koreatown that week or last week. And, you know, we canceled because they were afraid and they didn't want to go to these restaurants. And you said you haven't spoken to any of the restaurants, but have they commented on the impact they might have experienced from this rumor spreading? Right. So um, basically, my reporting from it uh, came out on Friday afternoon. Uh, I had caught wind of a number of Korean language uh, broadcasts and also reports speaking with some of the owners. So I was watching those and asking my dad to translate them just because he his Korean's obviously perfect and mine is kind of <laughs> shaky at best um but he was you know specifically outlining uh some of the comments from the Korean restaurant owners some of whom had said that they had lost significant amounts of business upwards of 50 percent another friend of mine who had gone to one of the restaurants the Korean one of the Korean barbecue restaurants and he said that essentially the entire restaurant was empty except for a you non-Koreans who may not have gotten the news <laughs> but, but, uh, from, you know, from Kakao Talk. And so what had happened, actually, while I was writing my report on Friday, the Consulate General of the Republic of Korea uh, issued a statement on their Korean language only website. And the statement was only in Korean and basically debunking the, the rumor officially. Uh, I don't why they made it so incredibly difficult for like English speakers to right. find i don't know so yeah basically uh my report was the first english language um article to basically state that these rumors uh, as quickly as they spread are were unfounded and untrue so i do think that you know having um reported verified article and also you know confirming information from government officials was helpful in in helping to stop the rumor so where do things stand now? We know that the rumors have been generally debunked um, through different statements and through the Instagram posts that have been refuting the original story, sharing yours. Have things returned to normal as far as you can tell? I would have to ask around. I do think that it's just the overall hysteria of coronavirus, um, you know, with all these people buying masks and it's still probably affecting Koreatown restaurants. Like people don't want to go to public places. Um, I did see some uh, responses on my Instagram when people were tagging me like, hey, this is really important. Let's go and support Koreatown restaurants. But yeah, it's hard to say. I know that the hit was harder and has been much harder on, I believe, Chinatowns, not just in Los Angeles, but also across the country. Uh, that one's sort of more rooted in a, a lot of other deeper 
problematic issues. I mean, great note about Chinatowns being affected, too. It's sort of where connecting, you know, there are these cases coming up in the countries and then here in America as the panic starts to grow. People are going and targeting those specific areas related to those countries and sort of spreading these rumors related to them. Right. I mean, it's funny because something like this causes uh, just a a unique kind of hysteria and irrational thinking. I mean, the number of countries continues to grow. Are we all going to stop eating at Japanese restaurants and at Italian restaurants and at Chinese and Korean restaurants? I mean, this is it's just it, it gets to a point where we have to start thinking about this a little bit more rationally and look, OK, there's there is a disease. Let's get more information about how it's spreading and what the effects might be. But I mean, to sort of blank it out and be like, I'm not going to go to Koreatown uh, because I heard something about a flight attendant who had coronavirus. Uh, I just think the best thing we can do as consumers is to sort of wait, you know, wait for the facts um, and just wash your hands. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, the thing that's so interesting and kind of scary to me is do you you have no idea who actually started this rumor, right? It's totally anonymous. It is totally anonymous. The the really funny thing in Korea, my parents were telling me that something like libel or announcing false news is like punishable offense. In one of the KBS America reports, KBS America is a, a Korean based uh, news organization. Mm-hmm. They had spoken with the restaurant owners who were accused and they were going to try to find out and inquire, like, where did this news come from? And so obviously there was this sort of witch hunt to figure out, like, you know, who's the one that came up with this um, with this fake news. That's the scary thing about the rumor mill always. Yeah, I mean, so untraceable. Right. In this situation, you're you're capitalizing on, uh, you know, a, a potential pandemic and people will believe anything that they hear. up after the break. How can social media platforms stop harmful rumors from spreading? It's complicated. Hey, it's Tom Warren, Senior Editor at The Verge here. Microsoft is in an era-defining moment. It's betting on AI as the future of work, its Xbox business is going through transformational changes, and the Mac versus PC war is about to be back on. So, I'm launching a newsletter called Notepad. It'll be your inside guide to all those changes and beyond. From details on the next Xbox, to that one time every Microsoft employee named Michael appeared on a mysterious email list. Whatever is happening at Microsoft, you'll be able to read about it first in Notepad every Thursday. Go subscribe now at theverge.com forward slash notepad. And we're back. I'm here with a friend of mine from across the office, Russell Brandom, policy editor at The Verge. How are you doing, Russell? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm a little stressed out. We're all stressed out right now, I think. In, the, in, in this society. In society, but also right now, especially because of this coronavirus. Yeah. That's going around. And not just that the coronavirus itself is spreading like wildfire, but also there's a ton of 
fake news about it. So I'm wondering, because you're a policy editor, you know a lot about misinformation writ large. Are there much larger examples of misinformation spreading about the coronavirus right now? Not just, you know, Korean restaurants. (laughs) It's weird. I definitely have heard. So we write about 5G a lot. And there's always a lot of 5G conspiracy theories. The other kind of misinformation about it is that nothing's happening at all. And it's all being invented to, you know, put these travel restrictions into place or to make Trump look bad or to, like, take down Bernie or something. I've actually heard both of those. Right. It's so extreme. It's so polarized on social media in both directions. And so you've mentioned, like, you're seeing all these different kinds of chatter. Where is misinformation about the coronavirus happening most commonly? When people write about this stuff, they're looking at big channels where, like, you know, if something is very big on YouTube, it gets recommended to people who haven't watched it or watched videos like that just because it's so popular that they're like, oh, it's like the Harlem Shake. You'll love it. (laughs) Um, And so anytime something that could be tangibly harmful, like this misinformation, sort of gets into that, it's a sort of YouTube problem. But if you're just asking sort of where it is on the Internet— A lot of it is in these insular communities that are already kind of group-thinky. Anti-vax forums have been, like, a big one just because there's going to be a vaccine at some point. Those groups are already organizing in fairly insular group chat, Facebook group type things. And I think from a moderation perspective— it feels more heavy-handed to go in to, like, what was already sort of a conspiracy theory group and be like, now you're spreading conspiracy theories about this thing that we care about. Right. Like, we're shutting this down, everyone out of the building. Like, it feels a little more spooky than just being like, all right, we're not going to promote this weird video you made about 5G. So you mentioned, like, Facebook groups, which can be, like you said, insular and generally private. You have to apply for membership. But are we seeing those, let's say, you know, someone who's an anti-vaxxer in an anti-vaxxer group, are people like that bringing it outside of the insular communities that they have to their larger news feed? Are we seeing a large impact on Facebook from these groups kind of expanding beyond themselves? It's tricky. I don't don't know everything that happens on Facebook, so it's hard to say for sure. I do think Unlike maybe a year or two ago, I think platforms are, like, aware that it will be a bad look if they don't do anything. And so YouTube in particular is really playing it close to the chest and not the, – the stuff is getting, you know, not, not deleted off the platform but, like, downranked. Yeah. pretty aggressively as far as I can tell. Okay. Uh, but also, I mean, that's one of the things about looking for this stuff is – There are just so many places it could be. Does YouTube, Google, or Facebook have explicit moderation policies in place about like, okay, hey, in case anti-vaxxers are putting out stuff about coronavirus on your newsfeed, here's how you can contend with that, or here's what we're doing to combat that? Have they said anything specific about what they're trying to do to stop that? Yeah, it's weird. So, I mean, YouTube in particular, but I think tech moderation in general, like, the thing that always happens is they have a very, like, consistent and coherent policy, and then the enforcement is completely different, and you're just like, ah, like, roll the dice. I mean, I will say the one thing that they're doing that they're talking a lot about is, you know, if you do a coronavirus-related search, a lot of the platforms will redirect you 
not like just take you immediately to the CDC website, but they'll have as the first search results or once you go to the video, there'll be a little sort of bar underneath it that says like, it looks like you're interested in coronavirus. Like go to the CDC, which is the canonical source for reliable information about this. Now, how much do people actually click on those links as opposed to just like, looking for wacky garbage on the internet. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I guess it's good to have it out there. Yeah, I mean, one, for Facebook, it's like it's in your hands to chase out chase this information, but then it's also out of our hands to actually know how accurate this information is, which kind of brings me to fact-checking in general. Going on social media, how do we know that those links are being fact-checked in the first place if they are? So— I am not a huge fan of the platform (laughs) fact-checking stuff. Oh. In part because I don't think what they're actually measuring is, like, the truth. Mm. So one of the things that happened recently is, so, so the president is making various statements of various sort of informational content. He has taken to calling the coronavirus a hoax. And it's sort of unclear what he means by it. Generally, if you heard the word hoax, you would mean like, oh, this is a fake thing that someone made up to trick people. Whereas what he means is that like, or or a thing that he could mean is that it's sort of being reported in a way that's biased towards the negative to make him look bad. And the concept of like, the coronavirus is a negative story for Trump is the real hoax. And this, you know, just like the Mueller investigation was. And so he's just sort of throwing around the word hoax a lot. But so Politico wrote up one of the comments and they sort of said, Donald Trump called coronavirus a hoax. And then one of the fact checkers labeled it as false. And so that got massively downranked on Facebook and sort of couldn't spread. And the outlet that did it was the Daily Caller, which is a very sort of close to the Trump administration ideologically. And so you sort of look at it and you're like, is this political censorship? Like, it kind of feels like you're saying this was false because you disagree with its political conclusions. But then also, I mean, and this is also the result of Facebook sort of having, really seeking out this broad ideological spectrum. Uh, And so they felt they sort of made a point to include outlets like Daily Caller. But then you're like, are they engaging with the truth of these claims or is it just sort of what political narrative it's fitting yeah i mean i can understand like from a broad perspective you want both sides recognized right when you're you gotta hear both sides you gotta hear both sides when someone is sharing news like what is supposed to be objective news but it does show political bias But that's for political content, political news content. But what about health-related content? There is a political angle to health, but ultimately, like, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever you are. The coronavirus could potentially infect you. So how does fact-checking change when it comes to this broader content? I would say, you know, most immediately, the CDC does not have an answer to what should I do to keep from getting the coronavirus other than like the very general epidemiological like wash your hands stuff. But but I mean, also, that's because it's a new virus. That's why we're so worried about all of it. 
like, I understand the urge to be like medical information is this separate thing that we should have different rules for. But I wonder if it you just end up back in the same place where like you're trying to tighten what's acceptable speech and then you you run into problems. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's sort of going into, I mean, freedom of speech, but also it's just generally like there's a lot of gray areas there. And one place where I feel like that's especially tricky, and you kind of alluded to this when talking about these insular communities on Facebook, are encrypted and private channels and websites, specifically like messaging apps, right? That's a place where speech is completely free. Like, it's completely privatized. There isn't moderation to the same extent that there is on these more public platforms like YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Is misinformation more harmful on public platforms that have wide reach or in these encrypted messaging apps where there isn't that same moderation scale? It's hard, like, talking about the harms of misinformation. It's always tricky because you're like, this person, you know, I suppose if people start catching measles, then we've got this concrete harm and it is <laughs> tangible. I mean, the way that I think about it is that censorship is kind of this dirty word, like you say it and people straighten up. But like in a very basic sense, if someone is trying to say something in a channel and you're like, yeah, maybe don't say that, like that is censorship is just what you're doing. And so and, and that doesn't have to be bad. I think that censorship is less harmful as you get to the bigger and bigger channels, right? So, like, if I'm going on, like, national broadcast news and everyone with an antenna can get it and you're using public airways to say it, then it makes sense for there to be this higher standard. If it's going on YouTube and they're going to promote it algorithmically to millions of people, like, that actually does make sense that you should be, you know, you should be taking responsibility for what you're promoting in that way. When you get into these encrypted group chats, I mean, say it's a one-on-one thing. Right. I'm trying to send you this link. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just going to pick up my phone and send to Allegra, Mm -hmm. and then the phone is going to say, no, (laughs) you're not allowed to send that link. Like, I don't know. That seems messed up. Right. So because it's like we are not comfortable ourselves as private citizens with the options that are more analogous to surveillance. So is it on us? I mean, I think the answer Facebook would give us is yes, but is it on us to intervene when we see misinformation? What is the responsibility of users to actually try and tamp down on this misinformation when it comes to global health crises, at least? I don't know that just bystander intervention is really a good strategy. Like, like I'm going to sit down with my loopy aunt and like have mm-hmm. a real talk about the things she's sharing on the internet. <laughs> like, I, I mean, that's fine. You know, I'm less troubled by someone sharing something that's false right. than sharing something that could hurt someone, mm-hmm. right? And that's a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about misinformation is like your child could get measles and get horribly sick, right? right? Like it's not just that you have this belief that I consider incorrect. There's this concrete harm that is directly related to the thing you're sharing. Right. And that's also like you shared something that could inflame like these existing societal tensions and result in this mob violence. Like you're sharing something that is going to make people freak out and panic about coronavirus and then, you know, do something that will hurt themselves or others. And so that to me always feels more urgent and like even if they don't agree with you they have to 
understand where you're coming from, that like this is coming from a place of concern for others rather than just being like, you're an idiot. I hold very different political beliefs than you. Okay. Um, Russell, thank you so much for probing this very difficult set of questions with me. I mean, ultimately, misinformation is such a big problem in this day and age, and we're still trying to figure out the best way to combat it. So the most we can do is, I think, continue having these conversations. So yeah, more podcasts. More podcasts. So thank you for (laughs) podcasting with me in general, but especially on this topic. Thanks for having me. On Tuesday, Mark Zuckerberg posted a statement on Facebook, quote, We're removing false claims and conspiracy theories that have been flagged by leading global health organizations. We're also blocking people from running ads that try to exploit the situation. For example, claiming that their product can cure the disease. This is Reset, and I'm Allegra Frank. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at LegsFrank. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We'll be back on Sunday. And as Ariel says, later, nerds. <laughs>